The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Yesterday, we began looking into the book of Hebrews, beginning with chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3. We left off yesterday at a point where we were looking at how highly exalted the Lord Jesus Christ is. Not only is he the express image of God, he is seated at the right hand of God. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is high and lifted up, and from all observances, it would appear that he is unapproachable just like the gods of the pagans. But as we'll see today, this highly exalted Jesus Christ is eminently approachable by his children. Not only is he high and exalted, he is humble and empathetic, touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Join with us today as we conclude this first message from the book of Hebrews, entitled High and Exalted and Yet Humble and Empathetic. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Adam, is that all there is to it? <laughs> is that all there is to it? Now, to understand, that's glorious. But, but you know what I'm saying? He didn't get, he didn't get worn out. We, we're told he rested on the seventh day, but it wasn't because he was tired. I mean, think about it. He hadn't been doing anything but just saying stuff. <laughs> He's God anyway. He could have done whatever he wanted to, but I'm saying all he'd been doing is saying, okay, let there be light. Let there be, you know, trees. Let there be fish. Let there be, the, you know. He's just saying, it, it, if I could do that, you know, in my, say, let there be tea in my cup, you know, it'd be, it'd be great, wouldn't it? You know, but instead I have to get up, you know, I was doing some work at John Morgan and Meredith's trailer the other day. It took me all day. Just Brother Glendon knows we're pushing up. It would have been nice to just say, well, let there be dirt <laughs> and let it be smooth and let it fill in all the holes. And instead of me having to go back and dig them up again, I, anyway, that's another story, but. Now, now listen, I'm not diminishing how amazing it was that God created this universe. But what I'm saying to you is this, is God did not have to expend any effort to do it. He just said, let there be light. That's intimidating to me. And now, not only did he say, let there be light and let there be creation, and it was created, it appeared, now he upholds it by the word of his power. God's not tired. He's not running out of energy. You know, I, I, one of the gods of the Greeks was a man named Atlas. And supposedly Atlas was holding the world on his shoulders. And my goodness, I thought about it. That just blew my mind when I'd read about it because he was perpetually holding the world on his shoulders. And all the pictures of him, this man hunched over and obviously in a strain, just about to wear himself out holding up the world. That's not our God. He's not upholding the world by this power and just saying, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to hold it up, but it's getting tired. I'm getting, that's not why he's coming back one day, because he's tired and worn out. He's upholding the world up, all things, the universe, all the creation by the word of his power. He doesn't have to expend energy to do this. Sounds like an intimidating God to me. when he had by himself purged our sins. I know the world teaches that, that we have to help him in that. And, and I don't mean this in a critical way, trying to accuse those out in the world that believe that of intentionally trying to denigrate God. I think many, many of them, if not most all of them, believe sincerely that they have to do something to help God out in, in eternal salvation, that they have to respond to the offer of salvation. They have to pray to the God of eternal salvation. But I'm not so sure that part of that isn't an effort to bring God down to our level a little bit. Because if you, if you don't have the scripture and all you know about God is that he himself purged our sins, that's a little bit intimidating, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. What if I, you know, if, if, if Brother Ronnie came to my house and started cutting my grass and started landscaping my yard and paid off my mortgage and, you know, just started doing everything for me. You know, I'd be, man, Brother Ronnie, 
I'd be thankful, but I'd be a little bit intimidated. What, what's he want? What's he after here? What's he, you know, it, it's just, I'm not doing anything to help him. He's doing it all. And you know, Brother Ronnie could be real arrogant about that. He could just be sitting up on his tractor and just glancing down his nose at me and just going about his business. Our Lord sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He's not sitting, you know, from this view now, I'm talking about just from these verses. He's not sitting down here with me. He's, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That can be a little intimidating, couldn't it? You ever, I've never been to, to the king or queen's court. I actually, in 1989, went to England and the closest I got to the Queen of England and her throne was the changing of the guards there at Buckingham Palace. I got in a bunch of, a group of thousands of people. But I, that's the closest I ever got, was in the crowd. And I'll tell you, if I had broken through the crowd and taken off running <laughs> towards the Queen's residence and her throne room, I'd have been tackled. And those those, uh, those uh, beef eaters, the guards there that stand so still would have broken stride I think and come after me see all right I know I've spent a lot of time on that look at the vision of God look at the vision of his son here high and lifted up as Isaiah the sixth chapter said his train filled the temple he was high and lifted up it's intimidating if that's all we know about God but turn with me over to the fourth chapter to the fourth chapter but as we begin reading through, not just the fourth chapter, but leaving, leading up to it, leading up to this point that we're getting to, we're reading about how that this Christ, the Son of God, is a better entity, a better sacrifice, a better, better than the angels, better in every way. Than, and, and that still, as I said, that can be intimidating, can it not? He's better than you and me. He's better than me, and when I get around somebody better than me, I get a little intimidated. <laughs> I don't feel like running up to the president and throwing my arms around him, or the governor and, and throwing my arms around her. You know, I've, I'm a little intimidated with these great <clears throat> people. And so this morning we began to talking about the rest that's available for a child of God. And, and we're not going to get into all that, but I'll say this. There is a rest that remaineth unto the child of God. Verse 9 says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. And that rest is not an eternal rest. There certainly is an eternal rest. But the rest that he's talking about here is a gospel rest. A rest that's here and now. As we live and breathe today with our God in the heavens. With our God seated on the right hand of the majesty on high. Whose brightness. Is the, is the brightness of his glory the express image of his person nonetheless as intimidating as that might be we have a rest how can that be it's the gospel message it's a gospel rest it says he that has entered into his rest he has ceased from his own works as God did from his let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief if you go back up we're told that we in verse 3 we which have believed do enter into that rest I don't want to get off onto that but let me just say to you that not every child of God believes you understand that not every child of God has a belief or a full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that he, in fact, none of us have a full knowledge. 
But there are those who are children of God who are not able to rest because they have not trusted him. They're children of God. They're born again because you can't trust him unless you've been born again. Back in the third chapter of Romans again, he says, What if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? God forbid. Praise God. The belief or unbelief of a child of God has never one time invalidated the covenant of grace. I'm so thankful for that. Because, see, belief is not just a one-time event, by the way. That's what the world teaches us out there is that you just got to believe in him and then you'll be saved eternally and that's it one time, one and done. (laughs) But I want to say to you, belief is a daily thing. Belief and faith, this faith, exercising the faith is a daily thing that we must do to trust him. What do we believe? What I've read to you so far could be a little bit intimidating, could it not? This God is seated up in the heavens. He goes on in verse 12 here of Hebrews, speaking of the living word. This is not the written word or the preached word. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We're still talking about some pretty intimidating things. We're talking about the word of God, the living word, who is the son of God, is able to divide even the soul and the spirit. Can you divide the natural life from the spiritual life? I can't. I can't even divide it in my own self. I can't tell you where one ends and the other begins. Too often they're they're blurred together and too often the old natural man overshadows the spiritual man, I'll say. And not only that, you know, I can hold my tongue. I know you don't believe that. (laughs) My family doesn't believe. I can actually hold my tongue, but I can't hold my thoughts. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying you might as well say it because you've already thought it. Because saying it might hurt somebody's feelings and cause some consequences here that you'd rather not deal with. But from the standpoint of the Lord, if you thought it, you might as well have said it. Because he is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that can be intimidating. (laughs) I don't know about you, but he knows what I was thinking before I got up here in the stand. He knows what was going through my heart. When I was a little bit ill today, even though I didn't express it, when I was a little bit uh, not focused upon the things I ought to be focused on, he knew all about that. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But listen to this. This is scary. All things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I know you thought those plans you had... I know you thought those lusts that went through your mind and heart. I know you thought that those cursings and swearings that welled up inside you. I know you thought that those schemes that you thought better of finally and didn't do them. I know you thought they were covered up. And I may not know about them, but they are naked and open in the sight of God. That's scary. That's intimidating, is it not? So what are you getting at? Are you trying to intimidate us tonight, preacher? Are you trying to scare us? Well, a little bit, because we need to understand the God that we're, living with, that we're dealing with. But I want, to, I want to close this out with a little bit of comfort here. This God who sits at the right hand of the Father, who is the express image of the Father, who is the brightness of his glory, 
before whom all things are naked and open, who is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the God I was telling you about. Back over in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, who condescended. He didn't just stay in heaven. He could have. He could have stayed, should have, from the standpoint of what's right and wrong. He should have. He could have stayed there in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand. I know he covenanted to, to come down, so he couldn't stay there. But I'm speaking in theoretical terms, so don't misunderstand me. He could have and should have stayed there in heaven and not done what he did. But nonetheless, he condescended to be conceived in the womb of a virgin and to be born not into the lap of luxury, but into the pit of poverty in a stable with animals and laid down to sleep on the first night he was in this world in a feed trough where they'd been eating. Now that, that sounds like, that sounds a little better to me. That doesn't sound quite as scary to me. That doesn't sound quite as intimidating. It, listen, he's still intimidating. He's still someone to be feared. But my point tonight is not so much to leave us in the fear category, but let's look at the, the love that he showed. Because it says here, it doesn't stop with verse 13. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession for. I love that word for. I love that word for. It's fixing to give us an explanation that's going to help us not only to understand what we're dealing with, but to, to, uh, uh, to, to, to bring it into our lives and put it into practice. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know, Zeus could not be touched with the feeling of the infirmities of the Greeks. Jupiter could not be touched with the feeling of the infirmities of the Romans. Isis and uh, all the gods of the ancient Near East could not be touched with the feeling of the infirmities of those who worshipped them. The emperor, the Roman emperor, couldn't be touched with the feeling of the infirmities of his subjects, even though they were required to worship him. But our God, our Jesus, the Son of God, can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities because, look, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He, he, he knows every temptation that you've experienced. That, that wicked thought that went through your head after you saw that ugly picture, he knows all about that. No wicked thought went through his head, but he knows the temptation. That time you got frustrated because the healing didn't come, and ultimately the undertaker did. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows the feeling of your infirmities. His weeping wasn't sinful. He didn't commit sin. He didn't, even in his heart, do anything wrong. But yet he was touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Back in chapter 2 of Hebrews, as we bring this to a close, we're told that there's a reason 
he did what he did, as opposed to coming down as the great conqueror of Rome, instead he became the child in the stable, in the manger. And it says in verse 16, Verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. That's the same God I was telling you about that's seated high in the heavens, that is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, that upholds all things by the word of his power. And yet it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. You know that time you felt betrayed by a friend? He knows about that. All his friends forsook him and fled one time. You know that time you felt like you were falsely accused? Maybe you were stopped on the interstate and you really weren't speeding that, that time. <laughs> or maybe somebody just started whispering something about you. Oh, you young folks, bless your hearts. Somebody put something on Facebook and it just was wrong. Or Instagram, I think I'm old fogey for just being on Facebook. <laughs> Somebody posted something that was false. Somebody whispered something that was not true about you. He knows all about that. They had to drum up false witnesses to testify at his trial. You know that time you were persecuted for doing right? When really in your heart of hearts you're still a sinner? He was persecuted and put to death when he always only did right and never committed a sin even in his heart. In that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And I didn't read verse 16 of chapter 4, but I'm going to read it now. You know what that means for us? I know, you know how we said we might be a little intimidated about the greatness of God, about how amazing and wonderful he is, and of all he's done for us, he did it all for us kind of might make us feel a little bit ashamed maybe to go into his presence or, or you know, we, we think, well, he surely couldn't care that much about me. He saved me, but that's, that's all he's going to do. Listen, here's what he says to us. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all the details of your life. I know some of you and I know some of what you're experiencing and what you've struggled with. But you don't, we don't know each other like that. I, I, you don't know my struggles. You don't know what I've been dealing with this week like God does. But God knows everything. All things are naked and open before him with whom we have to do. Now, while initially when we read that, that might make us a little bit intimidated and a little bit fearful, I want to say to you that the God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, who condescended to come down to us, he knows all about your struggles. Struggle. He knows all about your problems. So when you read that, rather than being intimidated that all things are naked and open before him uh, with whom we have to do, understand that that doesn't mean that he's sitting up there picking at you, trying to figure out a way to zap you uh, with a lightning bolt. That means that he knows your every fear. He knows your every struggle. He knows your every tear. He knows your every problem. 
and he identifies with it. And by the way, he's already taken care of it. He paid for every sin. And one day he's going to put it right in this world. And in the meantime, that's what Matthew chapter 11 is all about. Come unto me. It's not for a dead alien sinner that cares nothing of the Lord. For the Lord, it's for you, child of God, who've been born of the Spirit and now know the burden of sin and the burden of your daily walk, the cross you're carrying. He says, come to me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden light, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That's the God that we're talking about. That's the God we serve. That's the God who has a rest for his children. But it's only in, what does it mean to come to him? It means to come to believe and trust in him. Come to trust in him. We need to do that every day. Take his yoke. It's the easy yoke. It's the light burden. It's a, you know why it's easy and why it's light? It's not because it's not still a burden. It's just because he's, he's picking it up. And he's carrying it for you. That's the God with whom we have to do. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.